Hello and welcome to Still Unbelievable. We're back. I'm your host, David Johnson, the skeptic, and I'm joined by my Christian counterpart. Yep, so I'm uh, Dale, representing the Christian or uh, Seeker side on uh, Skeptics and Seekers. Not Still Unbelievable, but yep, it's a good, they're both good shows. Hey, what, what show did I just introduce? <laughs> still Unbelievable. <laughs> that's <yeah>. really embarrassing. <laughs> that's, that's often, you know, a good host and editor We'll just cut that out and start over again. Screw that. Um, so here's here's what we're going to do. Uh, as it turns out, we've got someone in the third chair again. Wow. Who do we have in the third chair, Dale? Yes. Uh, well, we have Natalie Collins. Woohoo. Welcome to the show, Natalie. Thank you for having me. You know, I think that's probably what was on my mind uh, because the last time uh, I had Natalie on. She was on Still Unbelievable. You can find that episode. It's on the internet. Maybe I'll link to it. Maybe I won't. Did I mention I'm not a really good host? <laughs> so <laughs> he's good. <laughs> it might. So it might. Uh, it might be there. But yeah. So uh, she was occupying the third chair then, and I can say uh, with predictive power that chair for Natalie will be more comfortable than this chair. This is this is one of those crappy folding tin chairs uh, that's kind of beaten up and it's tilted forward. I mean, she was in a nice Aaron chair before. This is not, not going to be quite as comfortable. But that's because we've got some serious things to talk about. And they're, they're really hard. You know, if, if we had, say, two Christians on the show... Uh, they would probably find uh, very few points of agreement. As as it happens, we do have two Christians on the show, so we'll get a chance to test that theory a little bit. But this is this is hard. It's hard for Christians to talk about with each other, and it's hard for uh, Christians to talk about with non Christians. Uh, and so we're gonna be we're gonna be diving into something that's that's a little bit difficult and a little bit challenging. And I think that we'll all come out better off for it. Uh, especially our audiences, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, how God communicates with us, how God communicates generally and specifically, and the the theology of it and the experience uh, of it. So, tough stuff. Before we get into that, Natalie, I'm going to hand you the mic and just briefly tell our listeners who the heck you are. So I'm based in the UK, about 45 minutes from London. I um, I describe myself as a gender justice specialist, which is a title I made up to, to encompass all the different things that I do. I work on lots of issues around male violence, uh, pornography, um, some stuff around gender identity, lots of different stuff. Um, and I um, have have a book coming out like this week, which is quite exciting about for Christians about domestic abuse called Out of Control. Um, yeah, so that's me. Okay. It, uh, and let me tell you guys, um, I like Natalie Collins a lot. Uh, <laughs> I liked her before I invited her on to uh, Unbelievable when I first heard her. Uh, and I, I like her now. And so even if this discussion doesn't necessarily reflect that, I just want to say up front, this is a person, (laughs) (laughs) this is a person, uh, that I really enjoy. I think she's doing, uh, some, some good and important work and, um, we will include links to her good and important work in the show notes. Natalie, uh, why don't you go ahead and give a shout out to one or two things that you might want to plug? Oh, um, 
so other well i guess the book's the main thing um i'll i'll send a link over to you for um people to get it and my broader website is nataliecollins.info if people want to uh look at my work and my tweet is god loves women on twitter so anybody who wants to say hi on twitter that's where i shall be okay all right so with that in mind let's jump right in um Dale, you want to you want to kick off with the first uh, the first question? Sure. Uh, so so yeah. Um, now we obviously you know our topic today is about you know what are some of the ways that God chooses to communicate with us, um, and you know what is the theology behind divine revelation. So in in the first place, um, I think one of the first places Christians should look to to understand how God communicates is in the Bible. So. Um, just out of curiosity, what what do you think are some of the the ways that the Bible says God uses to reveal information to us? Um, so I would say you have very explicit direct revelation visible throughout Scripture. So a lot of the prophets experience God telling them things very explicitly. Uh, Paul on the road, to, well, Saul on the road to Damascus has this this blinding light and these these audible words being spoken to him you have people being spoken to in dreams you have people like peter um seeing this vision while he's awake of the blanket coming down and giving him information about who was who was allowed into the faith that he didn't really hadn't previously understood so it's almost um there seems to be some stuff around when god wants to say something important doing it in very direct ways um but also if you look in in the old testament when they found um the word of God, um, you know, after, after the exile and, and you kind of read in either Ezra or Nehemiah or maybe both of them, when they discover the word of God again and they, they read that, um, so you actually see how the word of God speaks to people. Um, there's people who speak to people. So Moses, um, God speaks to Moses directly, but then Moses provides um, shares that information with God's people. So there's lots of different ways. Um, yeah, I don't think there's only one way it's shown. So uh, actually, I, I thought about a lot of the very same things that uh, you just mentioned. In fact, we uh, Dale and I are sharing some notes and it's almost if, as if you have a copy of our notes <laughs> because the, you, you said these things almost in the order <laughs> that we put them in. I think the only thing that you didn't mention is uh, preachers. God uses preachers. And I, I, I'm guessing that you would put that in the category of prophets, uh, the way you describe prophets. Could you, yeah. could you just maybe expand on your definition of what a prophet is? So I suppose I was thinking like Old Testament prophet. So um, when God wanted to say something to his people about generally how badly they were doing, <laughs> usually um, he he would call somebody to have this kind of word. Often um, it would involve doing odd things like cooking food over feces or uh, walking around naked or lying on one side or the other side. So you have like these kind of quite prophetic acts that uh, thankfully God doesn't seem to be calling anyone to do today. <laughs> um, uh, so I think that's quite different than the, the sort of prophecy that you would see in the New Testament and probably how it would be understood by most Christians today, which would be much more kind of words of wisdom or knowledge that God gives to somebody for another person. 
So I, I just find it interesting. Um, one, one second, Dale. You just used profit, prophetic as a synonymous with insane. <laughs> what you're talking about, you know, they're pro- these prophetic acts. And I'm thinking, yeah, that, that fits with insane perfectly. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if you realize you did that. But <laughs> um, yeah, out of curiosity, though, Natalie, so yeah, I think you are right to point out that there there are multiple ways that God uses in the Bible um, to communicate with different people. Um, but you sort of you sort of hinted, um, you know, some of these means were for back then. Um, so is there a difference between certain methods that he used in the Bible that you don't think God uses today? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I haven't come across anyone recently who's felt God's called them to cook food over feces and then eat them to to present something that he wants to say to the people of God. Um, so I think, you know, that's just one example. Um, I think that there's a lot less kind of pronouncing to the people of God, but I think that's probably about the... Um, the development of the narrative of the people of God and where, you know, the the people of God now isn't solely the Jewish people anymore. You know, it's a much more diverse and, you know, it's not one people group who all kind of inherit from the same source, if you like it. It's a much more broader thing. So I think in that sense, we've seen how God speaks and who God speaks to being quite different, particularly, you know, that actually in the Old Testament, God spoke through the priests and the prophets, and the New Testament suggests that 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 kind of Holy Spirit and that gift of being able to hear is open to everyone, not just to certain special people. So that's, I guess, where we see the biggest difference is the shift from chosen people hearing from God and bringing it to the rest of the people of God to the idea that we all have access to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. So definitionally, I I don't disagree with you there, but I I use a more generic definition of prophet that uh, that might come up later. So it's it's fair to you and the audience to for you to know what I mean when I say prophet, just yeah. just as they understand what you mean when you say prophet. And uh, you know maybe we can come up with some agreement there. But if if there's some later disagreement due to this misunderstanding, it might be because we're using different definitions of the word. Um, so when I used to think of prophecy in the way that I think most people think of prophecy, which is kind of a fortune telling. Uh, mm-hmm. What what's the uh, what's the test of a prophet that they're accurate one hundred percent of the time? Well, what do we mean by accurate? We're talking about fortune telling. They can they they say something is going to happen and then it happens. So that is one biblical definition of prophet. Uh, frankly, um, it's not the only definition of prophet, though. The, the reason I think those who foresaw the future were prophets is not because they were foreseeing the future, but because God was talking to them. That's that's the thing that made them a prophet. So they were a prophet, whether God was telling them something about the future, or in the case of Moses and the Pentateuch, telling them something about the past. That That's still prophecy in that God is giving direct information to that person. Uh, and so by the same token, a, a person uh, says to another person, uh, you are an adulteress and you have, uh, you know, you're, you're living with someone who's not your husband. Well, they're not telling the future, but they are speaking prophetically. Um, and what makes it prophetic is because they're giving information that God gave them 
and that they couldn't get from anywhere else. And so that's kind of what I mean when I say uh, prophet. I'm not I'm not thinking of any one instantiation of that that gift. I'm thinking of generically. This is a person who God talks to about things. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I I I think it's problematic to kind of say prophet is synonymous with predictor of the future because I think where we see uh, people in the Bible prophesying about a future time, the purpose is to reveal something of God's plan or something about what God is saying to those people. So if it was like, you're going to go into exile, the, the purpose of that was to help the people of God to make better choices. Do you know what I mean? So it, the, the future is sort of, uh, it's not the most significant part of it, I think is what you're saying too, mm-hmm. is that, it, you know, kind of prediction and foreseeing may come into it, but that's that's kind of a byproduct of it rather than the, the primary goal. Okay. Cool. So, um, yeah, I guess, uh, so out of curiosity then, so with in terms of confirming or, or disconfirming so i think i think i agree 100 percent with what you say now prophecy isn't just about predicting the future necessarily that that's that could be something that's a byproduct that might be used to confirm uh that they are actually communicating with god so i was just sort of wondering with the various methods that christians have um that god communicates with christians today um do you think there are some ways that we can sort of check the validity or confirm that it's actually God versus disconfirm, um, you know, if it's a, if it's a false prophet or something like that. Yeah. Well, I think it's a tricky one because anybody in sort of charismatic Christian circles. So, you know, there are people who, who, who would hold to a cessationist theology. You wouldn't believe that God does talk to people now, you know? So, so for those who don't hold that, theology, those who do believe God speaks to us now, I think it's a tricky one because I suppose I've been in um, Christian circles where the somebody's having a prophecy might be someone saying that God like loves you or God thinks that you're brilliant or, you know, so, so there's yeah. sort of generic words of wisdom that people might tell you God is giving you that you wouldn't really be able to deny, but equally doesn't speak directly to to something going on in someone's life. And, and, and then on you kind of on the other side of that, somebody might be feeling very, very distressed, having lots of problems in their life. And, and actually that word helps them to kind of get through that time. So I think it's not that every more generic thing that you can't test hasn't got a, a value or um is is not real but i think it's more complex when you get into well what are the things that god says to people today um i think in terms of the things that god has spoken to me directly like there is that those things are testable and are provable that they've emerged as real things that they've come they've either happened or they were you know they they've become something that actually exists um equally there are times i I was in a church and um (laughs) um it was years ago and i'd only recently come back to being a christian and i was on this i was quite traumatized i was dealing with lots of difficult issues and and this person had a word from god that i should stop watching tv and stop reading newspapers and unbeknown to them i didn't own a tv and i didn't read newspapers and so, so 
it, absolutely. People don't, you, you know, at that point you can go, no, you, you didn't hear that from God. You made that up. Like another time, um, I uh, I was part of this charismatic church movement where they did these things called prophecy pods where you could go and you'd sit and there'd be a prayer and a writer and the prayer would pray and then they'd work out what God was saying to you and then the writer would write that down for you. So anyway, so mm -hmm. I, my, before I went, my husband said to me, he was like, if they can't think of anything to say, they'll say that they see a waterfall. <laughs> so, I, so basically, I went to this prophecy pod. They sat down and they, you know, they got all into the, the zone and then they started praying. And the first thing out of this woman's mouth was, I see a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> Your husband's a prophet. <laughs> no, thank you. And I was like, ah, oh, I can't even. Um, so, yeah, so I think my my experience has been of a lot of these kind of these these places where people try to create a space for somebody to say something that God has said to them for you, like that hasn't been very useful. And when I kind of said to God, like, why, why can't you give me like words of knowledge from these people? And, and I felt God said to me that I wouldn't listen to them anyway, <laughs> because unless God gives me that information directly, I would just be like, well, it's probably not real anyway. So um, yeah, that was, that's my, I guess my personal experience of, words that were not accurate. So, so if I can follow up on that, I, th I think that mm -hmm. you've answered the question very well, but I'd, I'd like to maybe look at it f from the other side of the lens. So maybe you are talking about how you can know, uh, and we'll talk about this too, how you can know what whether a word of God you received is accurate or not. And obviously when people say falsifiable things, um, mm -hmm you know, then you can know that, uh, you know, whether, whether they're telling the truth or not, but that still doesn't tell you whether it's from God or not. So a person can guess at a thing uh, and be right about it. And that doesn't mean that um, it came from God. And so I'm, I'm curious about how the outsider looks at these things. So for instance, like preachers, if, if God communicates to people via preachers, how is the outsider supposed to know which preacher they should listen to. I mean, they can't listen to all of them. They're all saying different things. And, you know, how are they supposed to know which prophets are true prophets uh, from God and which aren't? And, um, you know, how, how are they supposed to know, uh, you know, whether the Bible is actually a true thing or not? I mean, they're outsiders, remember, so they don't have a, a faith position on the Bible. Um, is, is, is there a way <clears throat> that you think that these things can be uh, used in, a, in an, um, well, I'll, I'll just leave it there. I'm, um, Did you mean how can, how could this, the idea that God speaks to people be accessible to those who don't believe in God? Yeah. So if God is using these methods to talk to people, there must be a way for people to verify that this is in fact God talking to them. Well, I think for a start, I think for people who don't believe in God, like I, I don't think it, I think it's very difficult for that to be um to verify something that you don't believe in so like there is kind of a sense of confirmation bias so if you don't believe in it then you're gonna automatically assume it's not true and if you do believe in it you're automatically gonna assume it's true like just, mm. just so so i think there are tricky things about that i think in terms of 
like, well, which preachers do you listen to? I suppose my experience of preachers uh, saying something that I feel comes from God, it's actually just been about where I am. So when I go to church on a Sunday, um, it, it may be that just one thing that preacher says speaks to something that's going on in my life. Um, but it's not that I have to go seeking out and listening to hours and hours of sermons to hope that that I find the one that God speaks to me through. I think that, that the place that I find myself in is the place though where God will speak to me rather than me kind of trying to discern that and actually somebody who you know I've I've preached before and people have come up to me and said oh like this thing that you said really spoke to me and I'm like oh I didn't didn't even remember saying that so I I don't think it's necessarily as (laughs) clear as that like there's these words that the preacher has planned to say and they know that they're going to speak to somebody directly um it may just be a throwaway comment that then speaks to somebody that that something is going in on in their lives but i think there has to be some sort of openness to actually i might get something from here because if somebody's really close to all of that then then they're gonna they're not necessarily gonna have their heart or mind open to the potential of it yeah, that's a, that's a good um, thing that you said there. Because I, I was just sort of thinking, um, does, in your opinion, does God ever communicate with uh, non-believers at any times? And if he if he does, in certain cases, you sort of answer this. Are, are there any conditions um, that the skeptic has, that the non-believer uh, has to meet in order for God to communicate them, with them? So, you know, such as being open-minded, like you said. I think, I mean, I think, you know, we've all heard, well, I mean, we might not have all have heard, but I know I've heard of testimonies of um, lots of people who, you know, generally my experience has been of testimonies of non-Christians who have had a direct revelation from God. There has been some sort of openness to that. So some sort of hitting rock bottom or um, an openness to spirituality. So we hear, you know, I don't know whether you're familiar with it, but there are stories that come out um, from parts of the world about people of other faiths having visions of Jesus speaking to them or dreams of Jesus speaking to them in places where they would have never had access to like the Bible or anything like that. So there are those sorts of stories which come out and emerge um but i you know there is a commonality of some sort of openness but but i wouldn't want to like relegate anybody who is not open that god couldn't speak to them because god is bigger than uh where we are in all of this <laughs> so i think i think god can break through those things but there's something about consent that actually if we are not willing to engage with the potential you know the the god of like you know there's that whole thing of god asks our permission and if we are not willing to engage with this and we we uh, shut down any potential of this being a possibility then like god's not going to kind of violate us by insisting on pushing himself on us if we don't want to know cool yeah yeah so i i i've heard that a lot and i i just personally I, I find it unconvincing because if you know we don't we don't really know what we need to know <laughs> you know we we have a our experiences dictate kind of where we are in our life and what we believe right now and what we are uh, open to and what we think is just just outrageous and so if God has a higher truth that can transcend our experiences. He, he can't use our limited experiences as a as a way in. 
if if the best you know if as an unbeliever i am lost because god chose not to present to me in a way that was convincing because because he said well you're not open well okay but i'm not open because i've lived a life where i've been surrounded let's just let's say i was lived a life surrounded by frauds religious frauds mm. well that's not my fault that i've lived a life surrounded by religious frauds and it's not entirely uh, fair to say, well, you ought to stay open because one day someone will talk or religion to you. That's not a fraud. Well, that's not really fair. So it's it's really kind of up to God to break through that if he's got a message that, that transcends my circumstances to transcend my circumstances of hearing it. He can't send just another guy that sounds like a religious fraud to me and say, well, I sent you a preacher. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting you use the uh, word lost because I I don't I'm not, I suppose I would say that I don't think anybody, the fact that God, you know, people don't hear from God directly doesn't make them lost. It means that they don't hear from God directly at this present time. Um, And I believe the other side of eternity, we'll all be able to get hold of God directly. I don't think that that'll only be limited to the people who made a decision this side. Um, So I I suppose I would say I, I, I think that, that absolutely there's t- I have total sympathy and understanding for people who are who for whom God is ruined because of Christians and people of you know whether it's Christians or other people who have just wrecked somebody's p- capacity to be open to God because you know if we've been abused or damaged in any way that their need is to protect ourselves and to not remain vulnerable to to that kind of stuff so I I, I think that there, you know, that God is for those people who are broken. And, and if we have been broken because of religious trauma or because of what's been done to us in that way, I think that that grace says that there is that there's no nobody's lost at all. Just to say that. All right. Yeah. So, Dale, I'm just going to say because I have the equivalent of uh, jet lag, <laughs> permanent jet lag. <laughs> I am counting on you to keep us on track. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, okay, so so great. Yeah, I'm, I and I have been. I've been checking off some of the the things that we've been doing. So sticking to the list for you there, David. But uh, um, but yeah, I, I I just wanted to say on my end, I appreciated that um, that answer there, Natalie. It, it does actually resonate with me. So you know, this is one of the things that David and I have have gone back and forth on. But I I do believe that one has to be a a real seeker and then uh it's on god god will reveal the truth to them before the point of no return um so that you know you're right to point out that might not be before um at the moment of death it could be in the afterlife that you you're given an opportunity to to be saved or something like that um but one thing i, I did want to ask you about so sort, sort of going um more on an epistemological level so you mentioned us uh, you know, God communicates with some people through dreams and that sort of thing, um, and that leads to their their con- their conversion. They they believe and they have claim to have knowledge that Christianity is true. Um, so, what would you say in the first place um, if a skeptic's like, yeah, but dreams are a very unreliable way for coming to a knowledge of truth? Um, you, know, you shouldn't rely on that. It was just a random dream. Um, yeah, like in the first place, how would you come back to a challenge like that? I suppose in the first instance, I would be like, yes, 
I agree. I don't think you can rely solely on a dream, but actually it's how how that that dream impacts us when we're not asleep anymore or when you know if we have a you know like Peter had a vision that suddenly he felt very convicted of something that previously he would have found absolutely um horrendous um an abomination to him that after he has this dream has this vision he's suddenly like oh i should go to these gentiles houses and i should um i should see them as christians and and so there is a huge transformation and a huge like um like a, a, a changing of his perspective in a very radical way so i think it's not the the dream is the the visible if you like representation of a greater change that okay cool uh yeah i think um then kind of offering out that and then seeing where does that road take us does that road take us to somewhere healthy and positive or does it take us somewhere problematic and and then the fruit of it would be how we would test it i guess okay okay yeah that that's interesting um do you um are you familiar with the notion of of you know properly basic beliefs at all or or the inner witness of the holy spirit uh, obviously you would know about about that um you know one thing that i see so it's not necessarily so much about the the experience itself it, it could be through a dream or maybe god communicates through an audible voice or you know there's different ways god could communicate um but so long as that that person that experience grounds um knowledge it results from that from a, a properly basic belief uh so we have a, a warranted true belief that comes attached to the experience that god is using as a means to communicate to us um that's how i would say we can actually know that yes uh, when peter had the vision and saw um saw you know this change in the the food laws and that sort of thing he knew God was communicating to him through a properly basic belief um, rather than having to test it through future works. Do, do you see any validity in that sort of thing? Yeah, so I suppose I suppose it did get tested though, didn't it? So it didn't just exist in a, in isolation, that it became it became tested in that he then went to these people's house. It wasn't just the dream, it was then the fact that these people whose house he went to, he, he saw them, the Holy Spirit fall on them, and then he went to this, he went to Jerusalem and had to account for his understanding of what God was saying in front of other people, and then those other people accepted that this was God. So I think anything that is God, it doesn't sit in isolation, that we are, we, you know, we are community beings and that, you know, if somebody just has an idea to do something and says yeah. it's from God, that, that's the start of cults usually. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. so, so yeah. following, following up on that, Dale mentioned properly basic beliefs as, as one of the ways of knowing. Now, when Dale talks about properly basic belief, what I really hear him saying is, well, you know, because you know, that's very circular. And, and also that's very reductive. Dale will talk for three days on properly basic belief. I've, I've uh, never heard of this term before, so yeah. it isn't the idea of properly basic belief. Is, I, I don't know. I mean, I probably understand the concept of it, but it's not something I'm familiar with. It comes. It comes from Plantinga, uh, so a, a Christian philosopher. Okay. Yeah. So I so I acknowledge I'm being very reductive of Dale's take on Plantinga. I also think it's fair to say Plantinga himself would disagree with Dale. 
uh, on, on where Dale takes Planica's ideas. That said, that's let's just set that aside for a moment because that is one way of explaining how does direct revelation work. So I I obviously don't think we get anywhere by saying, well, you you know because you know. So let me ask you, uh, Natalie, because you have had some experience with direct revelation. We'll yeah. talk about that. How do you? How does it work? Is it an audible voice? Is it a feeling? Is it a, a, an irresistible inclination? How would you? How would you describe it? So, I've been trying to like work out how I would describe it for this, um, and I hopefully my articulation will be uh, useful to everybody. <laughs> I hope. Um, so I think probably the the first time that I can, I sort of begin to sort of pinpoint the time when God started to speak to me directly. Because I was, as one of those people who would have never seen myself as the sort of person God would speak to me directly. I was raised with very, my parents were Christians, but they were they were quite like they relied on God for, for financial provision, but they were not a fan of the charismatic gifts at all. So I was quite, I was raised with very um, cynical, very cynical around that stuff. I don't know if people are, you're familiar with the Toronto blessing stuff. My parents saw the really problematic side of that in the eighties and, and I don't know if it was the eighties or the early nineties, but yeah, so I, I wasn't somebody who really thought God would ever speak to me. Um, but then I I found myself uh, going through a load of really horrific stuff that led to me living in a hospital with a premature baby and a toddler as a single parent. And um, and it was from that place that I began to experience this God that I'd heard about and that I'd I'd grown up with this understanding was real actually doing things and saying things to me. And I, at first, I kind of, I suppose the first thing was this sense that I should read the Bible a lot, that I should shut out other forms of media. And so for a little while, I was living in a hospital. I, I wasn't part of a church at this point. So I just started reading the Bible a lot and noting down every question that I had. And that's what I did alongside living in this hospital. And then I had this the the first thing that I remember God really directly saying to me is that I needed to stop praying for my son to live and start praying for God's will to be done and to stop asking, um, yeah, to basically ask for God's will to be done and to, to believe and to, to understand in that situation that I would love God the same whether my son lived or died, which you know, in a in a <laughs> in a podcast that's going to be listened to by atheists, I know it's not really selling the Christian faith right now, but um, but bear with it. So, so, so you're, you're, uh, you're doing you're doing fine. <laughs> I was yeah. in this hospital, and and I came into contact with this God who wasn't giving me any hope, who wasn't saying, "Don't worry, I'm the magical fairy godmother. I will make all your wishes come true." But was saying you need to love me no matter what. And I'd, I'd come out of a situation um, with my, um, my ex-husband, who was very abusive to me, and, and he had actually prevented me from having any connection, any kind of spirituality or any faith because somebody who's abusive tries to strip you of anything, gives you strength. And, and so when I was, I, I'd lived on without God really and, and had found it to be so awful, not because because of the abuser involved, that I just thought I can't actually do this on my own, and and whether he does live or die, I I want to I I can do it if I can do it with this God who's being present with me. So um, in that in that space, I chose to to say, well, I'll I'll 
your will be done. And um, and actually, Joshua did get better. He's now 13, and uh, he has some behavioural issues. But um, but yeah, so that that was my kind of first experience of God speaking to me. Um, very like, and, and I suppose in terms of what did it actually present as, it was this. It was definitely, it wasn't audible in the fact, it wasn't like I heard a voice that I thought everybody else could hear. It was that I heard, I heard these words that came from within me that seemed to be from outside of me, um, saying that this, this thing that felt made so much sense, even though it was absolutely illogical that in the core of my being, I was like, yes, I, I get that, even though it was totally illogical and seemed to be particularly not good news at all for me. And so I suppose that was the first time. And then from there, I started to kind of hear God saying and doing more things for me. Um, so a few months, well, maybe about six or so months later, um, I was stood talking to a guy I'd known for about six years. And um, the same thing happened, this sort of audible audible thing inside of me that was I knew was this this God speaking to me but was was not something I I didn't think oh this is like everybody can hear this but this this voice and these words inside of me that felt like they came from outside of me and they said you're you're gonna marry him um the friend of mine he's called Baggy and um and I was like I am not going to marry him like I didn't want to marry anyone and I definitely didn't want to marry him because he was like 13 years older than me and I was like he is really old (laughs) I was 23 at this time or 22 and I am yeah and so so for 18 months the more that I was like I don't want to marry him the more that I felt like that was going to be the best outcome for my life so there was firstly this like audible voice that was inside me but felt like it was outside me that came with this kind of sense of like a growing conviction that seemed at odds with my actual feelings about the situation and uh, in the end I said to God well you're gonna have to tell him because I am not telling him if this is really God God's gonna have to do it because I'm not doing I'm not having that conversation um, and and Baggy had been single for about 13 years he didn't think he'd be, get married or have kids he was quite happy with that which is odd for most Christians as they're all, you know, ready to get married very quickly, aren't they? And so he was like, you know, chilling out, having his nice life, doing all the stuff he was doing. And um, and then God did tell him to marry me. <laughs> and uh, and the way that that happened for him was that he was moving, helping me move house. And um, and he just thought, oh, yeah, Natalie's nice. And he, then he, this kind of thought emerged into his head that was like, yeah, I think I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. And then he was like, I'm going to do what? <laughs> And for him, it it was quite a different sort of, it was this kind of like, oh, oh, am I? I'm going to do this, am I? And uh, he was definitely less negative about the idea of marrying me than I was about marrying him. Um, and about 12 days later, we then had a conversation where it emerged that we'd both had this, it was a very odd conversation from different sofas in this room, in my living room, where we suddenly were like, yeah, so um, well, I think we're supposed to get married. Um, and we did, we got married six months later, and we've now been married 11 years. So um yeah, those those are a couple of the early examples. Um, but I, I could yeah, I could talk for a long time about things God has said to me. But th- yeah, those are two things in terms of the tangible how it is actually experienced for me. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I I think that was a good um, good explanation that, that answers uh, David's question here. So yeah, I'm actually happy with that, and that that actually fits in. Um, 
with my methodology. So, you know, in terms of properly based beliefs or, or you could have a knowledge by acquaintance. It's this, it's this direct conviction, I think is what you've, you said, or I, I call it an, an irresistible inclination to believe um, this is true, that God's telling you to marry this person or that sort of thing. Um, one, one thing I'm sort of curious about before I turn it back over to David. Um, so moving away from sort of the means or the mechanisms and, and how we can know that they're reliable, um, do you think that there are any conditions or limitations on the types of information God can reveal to people based on the way he's doing it or is just any anything up for grabs? Like, can he give me lottery numbers or does he reveal doctrinal matters? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, yeah, well, how do you see? If he does reveal lottery numbers, I would love it. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, how do you how do you see the content as being relevant to how he reveals things? Yeah, I suppose my experience, and I, you know, I can't talk, you know, for everybody, but my experience is that it's it's all relational. So, um, and what what we need, what we think we need versus what we actually need are very different. <laughs> and so, um, I think, you know, my my experience has been, you know, God told me a decade ago that I was going to work to address male violence nationally in the UK, and I was. Um, you know, had just got married, had two small kids and didn't know anybody. And a decade later, that's exactly what I do. Um, and, you know, and so so that was something that was a prediction, like we talked about before. Um, God told us, me, that we needed to move to another area that was much poorer than the area we lived. And everybody, all the Christians we knew thought that we were mad. Um, and then when all our house our house uh, move fell through and I was really distraught and I was in the car driving crying going God why have you done this to us <laughs> and um and God just said to me get over yourself Natalie the honeymoon's over <laughs> I was like rude um and so in that instance like I you know and and, and God said to me you know you've been th you've, you've had a child who nearly died and you're crying because your house move fell through pull yourself together um and then another instance quite recently I've I've been working really hard and I, I, I have a god day every month I go and have a day on alone on my own walking along the seafront by myself with god and and I was tired and I'd been praying god said to me like go be kind to yourself go home and have a bath and so like it's not it's not as simple as going is there limits to what you know god is god going to give us lottery numbers my experience has been like like that's so far away from the way that my my, you know that for me god has been about like my experience of god has been this, this being that wants that's in relationship with me and and on on occasions is going to be like you are wrong pull yourself together you know get over yourself you know whatever and then on other occasions is going to be like i just love you like you know i suppose i see it in terms of the relationship i have with my kids or you know that or, or with any, with a friend or whatever that actually what how what god is saying to me or what what I, it's what i need to know in that moment and you know i think as much as we'd all we all might imagine that we need to know lottery numbers i would say that's probably much more uh, influenced by capitalism than, yeah. <laughs> than, than what we actually need to know i suppose so let, let me let me just interject here uh, and say something that might be surprising uh to to uh the audience i don't actually doubt any of the things that you're saying about your experience. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, I I got out of the business a long time ago of determining whether someone was telling the truth about their experience. It's much easier to just accept their self-report of what they experience and move on because I have no way of judging uh, whether you are, are telling the truth about your experience or not. And furthermore, there's nothing inconsistent with nature and your experience. So the thing that I question uh, with people is not whether they had the experience that they say they have, but whether they're interpreting it properly. Uh, and so it's it's you're telling me that God is is speaking to you, and I would question, well, how do you know that? But I am not questioning whether you had an experience of you know f- being spoken to and directed in certain ways. But I, I think what a lot of people like myself would say is, well, you have become very good at self-talk. I think that uh, psychologists used to call it self-talk. I, I think that you know what I mean, though. You were you were able to internalize. Um, things almost in, in the form of a conversation and and move yourself in one direction or another. It's, it's not miraculous, and it may feel like you're talking to someone else, but you're you're actually being very self-directed, and this is one of the reasons why you don't know lottery tickets, because you really don't know <laughs> what the lottery tickets are. Um, but, you know, in, in ways that are, you know, very, uh, very human, uh, and very intuitive. You can you can kind of talk yourself through things like that. Now, I don't know whether that's what's happening or not. That would be my guess. But I would ask, theologically speaking, let's just say that it is in the realm of the supernatural. How do you, just like I would ask about Abraham or any of the biblical characters, how do you know you're hearing from God? Because even theologically, there are other options that you could be hearing from. Uh, the, the devil is so good at this; he could he could maybe deceive the very elect. Uh, so how how would you know? I mean, I think I hear this. I hear what you're saying about self talk. I think the reason what one of the things, particularly in the early days of me hearing God speak to me, is that God was often directing me to do stuff that I had no desire to do of my own accord like so telling me to marry someone that I wasn't in any way attracted to or you know did not consciously you weren't consciously aware yeah I mean you know we ended up in sex therapy within like you know a few months of getting married so it it wasn't like I got married and I was like oh yeah it's all fine now it was it's not it's just not so it's not genuinely telling you like it wasn't conscious or unconscious um at that time it's all right don't worry we're you know we're doing fine now but um so I suppose another example Example of a, a situation where I would say um, that this is not just about self-talk. So about um, four years ago, um, a family member of mine, her her child had been in care, um, so foster care, um, because of her neglect of him, and he was re-returned to her. And um, he was about to be re-returned into foster care, and we moved her halfway across the country to come and live with us because we felt good and told us that we needed to care for her so we moved them to live with us and for six months we cared for her and him and it emerged over that time that she couldn't care for him so she then left and asked us to adopt him um and so i went on this journey of like i said to god i can't take him on as my own because that gives her too much power because if i take him you know i'm happy to foster him but if i take him on as my own child and um and she she wants him back i i don't know how we'll cope with that and um 
and so and god said to me no you you have to take him on you have to take him on as your own and i didn't have any desire to do that and i i took him on we took him on as as our own and um and we believed that meant that he was going to stay with us because i didn't believe that this god would uh ask you know would have asked me to take him on as my own if he wasn't going to ensure that we were protected from from that damage and um last year we um she changed her mind and she said she wanted him back and we fought it through the court and he was re-returned to her after uh he'd been with us for three years he called his mum and dad and uh and we lost him and he moved halfway back up the country to live with his mum and we have very little contact with him now and uh and so like genuinely there like, there is nothing within any sort of part of me that wanted to be in that any of this part that situation that wanted to you know we sacrificed lots of our life lots of our children's lives we've got two children 15 and 13 now um you know to be able to take on this child that you know we didn't really we would have looked after but not as our own and uh but that wasn't what god called us to do and and it's it's not easy and uh you know i've been on a journey of working out how, why god asked us to do that and you know my conclusion so far is that that little boy needed to belong to somebody for the time that he was with us and uh you know nothing can account for why you know that he's ended up back in a situation because the system's broken and you know it's not the greatest of situations for him but i think this idea that i'm good at self-talk i like i li- it literally is not i it would be mean working against my own best interests well but e- even even putting that aside it still doesn't answer the question of how do you know you're talking to a specific supernatural being when there yeah. are other so options that- yeah. So in terms of the the so that would just to kind of address the self talk thing. So mm-hmm. I, you know that that bit. Um, in terms of how do I know that I'm speaking to God? Um, well, it comes down to a matter of faith that my it's a consistent my experience of God is consistent. Um, in that it involves great amounts of love, affirmation, but also challenging me to do things that are not very comfortable and that I wouldn't necessarily do on my out of my I wouldn't do out of my own my own kind of compelled to do out of my own just desires um I suppose the commonalities in these experiences of God speaking to me on on you know and and there are other ways that God has spoken to me but on these kind of ones where it's quite dramatic and God asking me to do very specific um quite large things um the commonalities is there's there's this kind of sense that this is there is a sense this is God this isn't some thing else this is this is god and this god is the christian god that that i've kind of chosen to be in relationship with the second thing in that there is a level of compelling or i think um doug said something about like irresistible something but there is this kind of compellingness to it that feels like i my life i could choose not to do this but my life is going to be deeper wider larger more 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 I I can't even it's just going to be bigger if I take this path even though it doesn't make any sense it's it's quite illogical um I, I think a lot of the time it has not been things that I've wanted in my own desires as a human being it's not it's been marrying somebody I wouldn't have ever chosen to it's been taking on a child who 
subsequently got taken away from us it's um you know it's doing things that that don't necessarily you know it's moving to an area that nobody wants to live in you know these things are not things that naturally most humans with their you know (laughs) with their like natural like survival instincts would make decisions to do um and I think with testing, it becomes stronger that actually d- delaying it or, you know, just thinking, well, I'll try it out. If I try out seeing the world this way or making this sort of decision and I don't do anything sort of dramatic straight away, what happens? Does it does it get weaker or stronger? And and so there's something about these these the, this compelling grows. It doesn't just kind of shrink and we go, oh, well, that was just out of my own head. And I think the last thing is is the fruit of it. What what emerges out as a result of it? And you know, um, the marriage that I have with my husband has been amazing, and the things that we've been able to do. And he's the best, absolutely the best possible person I could have married. He's he's absolutely brilliant, and he he works full he's full time at home with the kids and does all of my admin so that I can do the work that I do you know he is brilliant and we're a great team um the little boy that we took on although he's not with us anymore the the way that he is succeeding in school is absolutely amazing and he couldn't have done that without us um you know so so the the fruit of these things is that there is there is transformation and there is the, the world is made better as a result of these decisions. And so I think it's those those five things together. And absolutely, you could say, well, is it like an alien life form telling me to do these things or is it like some other God or whatever? But actually, like, I have chosen to spend, to dedicate my life to the Christian God. And and so my, my experience has been that the more that I choose to dedicate myself to the Christian God and the more that I read the Bible and the more that I take time out with this god this christian god the more that my life um the types of things that i'm being directed to do are 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 these sorts of things and they come they correspond with my commitment to the christian god okay yeah um one one question um from a a christian standpoint for for perhaps uh, we do have a large um a lot of christian listeners as well um, now, one thing they might be saying, though, is, um, you know, they've never experienced uh, God speaking to them in, in such a direct way themselves. Like, I, uh, for better or worse, I, I have to admit, I, I've never experienced um, God giving me specific instructions through an internal audible voice. Um, so I'm just out of curiosity, do, do you think there's something wrong with the Christian like should I should I be engaging in in spiritual disciplines and maybe in time I will have this or is God saying well I know what's how to communicate with you uh, versus another Christian and that sort of thing so um, yeah is, is there something that the Christian should be doing in order to take on more in order to have the the type of uh, way that God communicated to you, or is it more? No, God, God knows the best way to communicate with each individual Christian, and so He's doing it in certain ways to meet them as individuals. How would you answer that? Well, I think uh, firstly, I'd say I don't think I'm like extremely special. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm more special than people who God doesn't speak to like that. So I I don't think it's about me having something like having a special thing that other people don't have that that the that my understanding is that as a result of Jesus we all have the same access to God and the Holy Spirit. I think the the things that I 
recognize within my experiences that definitely are part of why I experienced God in this way is that I experienced significant levels of suffering. Um, I think I was once asked what what most what is the most influential I think it was something like what is the most been the most influential thing in your faith like is it art or music and I was like pain <laughs> being, being going through really horrific things are my in my own kind of understanding of it, the reason why that that opened up a space in which God started to speak to me and in which I chose to do whatever God wanted I was living in a hospital with a premature baby and a two and a half year old divorcing my husband going through a court case because he had assaulted me causing my child's premature birth and um and when you lose everything, when absolutely everything is stripped away and all that's left at the end of everything else is this God, that there's something that changed in me that I said I will always, always do what God says and I will always trust God and I will, and I will do that and nothing else will get in the way. And obviously at times things do get in the way, but I've tried as much as I can to not be willing for anything to be of a higher priority than God. And and I think that came from losing everything. And I think, you know, and, and so I don't think it's necessarily a pathway I can advocate for. Mm-hmm. As in like, so Christians, you want to hear from God more? Go through terrible things. But I think that in our in Western culture, we are so conditioned to be averse to suffering um, that actually we are, are kind of self-protective instincts kick in so much that we don't ever get a chance to to experience God in in those places where everything else is lost. And, you know, and I think, you know, this this is not like just me saying this, you know, that liberation theology recognizes this, that, you know, if you look at how people experience God in parts of the world where there is very little where people have a lot less that their experience of God is a lot more visceral and a a lot more understanding of God telling people to do stuff that that almost our complacency and our consumerism and capitalism you know I'm not a massive fan of capitalism you may have guessed (laughs) those things get in the way of us being able to hear from God so I think that's the first thing I think in terms of the ongoing practices that have been helpful for me that I think we often just just a moment before you get to your ongoing practices I I can't contain myself anymore. I, <laughs> I, I don't understand. I'm not going to say the conversation is about to get interesting now because it's been interesting before and we're actually near the end of it. But I don't understand why you wouldn't say uh, the pathway to uh, closer communication with God is through suffering. I mean, I understand that you think maybe that sounds crazy and you, you want to step back from that ledge a little bit. But everything that you are telling me suggests that the path to a closer relationship with God is through hardship. Now, that sounds to me from an outsider, and I have to reiterate here for people who are not familiar with the show and familiar with me, I was an insider for most of my life. I was a Christian for most of my life and a preacher for a significant part of that. So I'm not unfamiliar uh, with, with how Christians talk and think. But it seems to me terribly suspicious that God can only communicate with people su- uh, successfully when they're in a really bad state, when they're in, in, at rock bottom, their lowest state of human existence. God has a hard time communicating with people when they're doing well. It, in, in our weakness, he is strong, the passage says. And I'm, I'm just wondering why this God thrives so well 
on our weakness uh, when, you know, we might have all kinds of psychological distress and things and then say, okay, well, I'll, you know, maybe this is God talking to me. Why couldn't he have done that when, when we were stronger and our, you know, mental state was not in question uh, and, and such? Yeah. Just, just as a quick follow-up, Dale, uh, not Dale, uh, well, actually Dale too, but I was thinking about Justin and many, many people like that, their stories of conversion began when they're teens or younger. And I also find that suspicious, that God f- finds a way to communicate with people when their brains are not fully formed. Uh, it has a harder time communicating with people when their brains are fully formed. It, this just seems like a very suspicious thing to me that I find troubling. But if it is the truth, if it is the way this God communicates, then why not say what you need to do is suffer more? Because <laughs> it's not about like, um, so that, you know, there are lots of, you know, historical uh, accounts of people trying to like, um, fabricate suffering in order to experience God it's like you can't make it happen you know I think that there's a real risk of what I'm saying that people take it in a kind of sadomasochistic type like if I cause myself loads of pain you know like self-flagellation people did used to self-harm to try and get close to God people starved themselves to try and get close to God and like I'm not saying that God can't speak to it you know most of my life that God has spoken to me when I'm not suffering and that actually my experience of God is that through that time when things were difficult God spoke to me but actually the the way that God has also healed me and transformed me and um I've I had all sorts of traumatic issues that I've been healed from um through counseling through therapies but also because of of prayer and because of my my growing understanding of God's love for me um and my security being in God not in something else so so it's not just that God can only get in touch with us when we're broken and that he you know he only likes broken people like actually that it god our ability to to hear from god when we're in a broken state our ability is greater not that god is is closer to us in those times but that that when when these other things are stripped away when um when success and career and all those things are stripped away um that's when we're more able to i hear from god not that god's not trying to speak to us other times but i think it's much harder for us to hear when all the other things in life all the the cares and worries of these la- the life as you know it says in the bible those things threaten to choke out god um and so it's only when we're put in positions where those things can no longer be the priority when having the best job or having the most stuff when all of that things are stripped away that we are there's enough space for god to to get in that's not to say that god can't speak to us other times or that god wants us broken and um, because my experience has been that that i wouldn't have i wouldn't be alive and i wouldn't be transformed without god so god didn't want to keep me broken but that brokenness meant that he could get in other things were no longer taking up my time and capacity I will unsatisfactorily let that stand because I can <laughs> because I can feel my co-host thinking, okay, you've had a rebuttal. Shut up. Oh, this is this is what he is saying. <laughs> um, no, I, I think it was good to actually tease, tease that out, believe it or not, because I I think what Natalie is saying does make sense. It, it does resonate in the sense in, in my context right people need to be a real seeker um 
for God, and that entails being open-minded um, for God to reveal the truth. Right, to them but why, should, why should being but, wealthy and healthy uh, and, and wise and happy keep you from being open-minded? That seems so, to be like the perfect state to find God. That's where, I mean, no, no, honestly, right. if, uh, no, I'm, I mean, let me hear, hear me out because I've preached these sermons and I've got some penance to do here. The, this is this is absurd. You should not, in fact, hear God better when you're in a broken state. There is nothing in life that we do better when we're in a broken state besides cry. We don't think better. We don't reason better. We don't have better relationships. We're not better when we're broken. And so the, the idea that, you know, even though God doesn't want you to, bro- to be broken, you can certainly hear him a lot better when you can. No, you can't. And if you can, there's something broken about the way God talks to us. Yeah, but I, I think when you get, I mean, I, I can be broken because they run out of peanut butter at the store or something. Maybe, maybe to me, that is so devastating or whatever. But, but people in general, it's not a necessary criterion or prerequisite for God to communicate to you. I mean, Bill Gates could be happy as heck and God could communicate to him if he is a real seeker. But just as a generalization, people in general tend to become more open to considering these you know spiritual possibilities they become more desperate they, they, you're, what you're what you're describing is open is not is not a healthy kind of open I but, don't, I don't go ahead think about, um, I I don't think it's about um, so I'm trying to think about this right this idea of brokenness it's making we're all like it's not true that we don't do better in brokenness i don't think that's necessarily true like that that actually the the wealthiest people are not the best people the people who have the most in life are not the kindest or or gen most generous that actually you know the more we have the more that we are entitled um so i don't think it's true to say that that the the better we the better off we are and the more we have and that that makes us that those are the that makes us in the best place i, I just don't think that's true so i would say that the idea that be ha- having everything and not needing for anything makes you in a better place to make good decisions i don't think that's true i think obviously if you're in a level of desperation which means you can't function that's also problematic but the idea that being broken means broken people make worse decisions than people who've got everything together i don't think that's true well i don't know that that's what i was saying but in general uh, we're physical animals and i know that you know just talking about my job which is a very mundane thing i do not do better by being deprived of sleep uh that that is a form of brokenness that i i would like to avoid as much as possible i'm not i'm not better when i'm sleep deprived and hungry um and and irritable and and desperate uh this is this does not make us better and it doesn't help us make better decisions and so if there was a pattern in my life where i said well you know all of my decisions my important decisions uh came much easier uh when i was starving say that would i would that would be reason to question the important decisions of my life and i wouldn't expect people to listen to me if that's where it came from but i hear christians talk this way all the time as if it's a virtue that that somehow makes it better i mean the bible talks about it this way james uh suggests that uh it is uh, that god chose the poor in the world to be rich in faith 
What does that mean? God chose the poor in the world to be rich in faith? You can't be rich in the faith and be rich? <laughs> how about, how about just, just not being poor? But why? what is it about poverty that makes you rich in faith? Or what, why does God choose that um, as, as the, the better conduit? I really don't understand that. It really does feel um, like an unhealthy obsession uh, to me with, with just you know, reveling in your weakness so that God can look so much stronger, like the rescuer. Uh, and I, you know, I think my relationship with my parents is much better as an adult than it was when I was a child, because I can, I can interact with them as equals now. I, you know, I understand how the world works. I don't have to ask their permission to have a cookie. Uh, we, we have a very different kind of relationship, and I, it is not a relationship of me being broken and them being strong with all the answers. And I, I don't think that's a healthy way of thinking about the the. The Christian relationship either so I would say firstly you said something about like all my important decisions will be better if I'm hungry or starving or sleep deprived that's definitely not what I'm saying I guess the question was why do I hear like God directly speaking to me and my the thing that I've I've identified through my own journey, which has enabled me to start to hear God in that way, was meeting God in the in 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 a level of brokenness. But that's not how I hear from God now. It's not like oh, I have to remain broken, or God won't speak to me, or I have to be not have enough food, or I have to be suffering in order for God to speak to me. That actually that that point that moment in which god came in led to all sorts of healing and and you know we've like i've I've become i now own a home and a car and (laughs) and have you know i'm financially stable and have a job that i love and a life that's amazing and my kids are healthy and i don't have anything that i could say i am suffering with at this moment so it's not the case that that there is this sense that god keeps us broken and keeps us down damaged and keeps us with no power in order to feel powerful and and that's how this god works there's something about how suffering can open up a sense a, a shifting of priorities from me and me wanting to have everything and wanting to be wealthy like i have a lot more than i ever expected i would ever have in my life um and and that's not that's because god has been part of the 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 healing and the transformation and the provision um and I think, you know, that that if we were to look at those who are the most wealthy in the world and those who are the poorest in the world, we would definitely see that the decisions that those who are the most wealthy in the world are not to make to make the world a better place for everybody, that that wealth is absolutely disproportionately um, perpetuated and in ways that are oppressive to to the most poor in the world. And, you know, and that that's something about how wealth and power makes humans be toxic. And so I think that there's something in that whole thing that the Bible's saying about the poor will be blessed or the poor will know the truth because actually they won't be the ones oppressing other people and dehumanizing other people. Not, I mean, you know, I don't want to kind of glorify poverty or whatever, but actually I think we the idea that wealth and goodness go together is just not, is not proven if you look throughout societies in the world. So I am much happier with your answer and happier to, uh, to, to leave it. Now I'm not happy, but I'm happier. (laughs) So, you know, I, I, I think, and I don't know if we 
have any point of agreement here or not. I, whereas I can see that when a person hits rock bottom, they start looking at options that they would not look at before. Yeah. But with, with something as important as eternal destiny and, and the, the, you know, the reality of the universe, so there's a God here in this other realm of spirituality, I would think that this would be something that God would be very careful and sure of to present to us when we are living our best humanity, whatever it is. It doesn't matter whether it's when you're the wealthiest or not. But whatever the state is where your brain is fully developed, you're emotionally mature, you're financially stable, and then you can evaluate these things calmly and reasonably as opposed to you know, somehow almost taking advantage of us when we are at our most vulnerable state. That just feels predatory to me. I think... I think the one of the things I would say is that I, I am in agreement with you that I think it's very problematic the way that Christians evangelize to people in very, very distraught places. So I think that you've got to be Christians have to be very careful about going into prisons, about um, people with mental health issues and have to be very careful not to be taking I, you know, I think it's very different that God can speak into people's lives when they're at their lowest and that Christians take advantage of conversion opportunities when people are at their lowest because I think actually I would if somebody I suppose I'd grown up with a Christian faith and had this kind of understanding and it happened I, there were no people involved in terms of it wasn't like I was was part of a church or had people who were kind of directing me towards this it was very much it came from God so I think we have to be really careful that that christians don't use this this uh, this theology or the the sort of things that i'm saying to think oh great well let's get to people when they're their lowest i think it's very problematic to encourage people to be baptized or or commit to big dramatic uh faith journeys when they're in a really really damaged place so you know i get i'm always very con concerned when so when somebody kind of it makes public public statements of conversion when they're in their most traumatized state i don't think that's healthy i think you know we wouldn't be encouraging somebody to get married when they're at their lowest and i don't think we should be encouraging people to make statements of faith if you know until they're in a better place so it's not like when i was in the middle of all this i would be talking about it in the way i am now mm. it was very much a journey that i was going on um, and it's only looking back that i could tell you that this was all going on in that space um whereas you know but actually you know nobody was asking me to stand up on a platform and tell people my journey when i was in the middle of all this awfulness and so i think it's very different that god can come in and, and speak to us and and offer us new ways of being in 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 those dark places i think it's very different when that's that's something that's being kind of driven by manipulation or by people's kind of agendas to convert which i think is really problematic yeah okay i, I agree myself on 100 and we also have found a point of agreement so that yes. I, am, I am happy to <laughs> i am i am now happy to be able to move on just uh by way of keeping my promise we're uh, a little past the hour mark about an hour and 13 minutes how do you feel natalie i'm good i'm good i am i'm happy to continue chapter okay awesome so we got a, we got a couple of more things uh, here. Not long, not a lot, because you've actually covered a lot of the stuff that we had on the list. But Dale, what what do you see here that we haven't covered thoroughly? Um, so here, here's one that I I don't think we totally covered. It, it wasn't actually one of your questions, but um, yeah, I just wanted to quickly throw it to Natalie to get um, 
okay, you know, I, I hear these different methods and stuff that God is using to communicate and that sort of thing. But there are some Christians uh, who hold to us, you know, cessationalism, and they'll say, look, the, the time for that is past. We, we no longer have prophets. We no longer have miracle healers or, or God contacting us um, in, in such direct ways. And, and they'll say the Bible supports this view of cessationalism. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with that debate, but did you have anything to say against that? Like, um, why that would not be the case or, yeah, what, what are your thoughts for Christians who hold to that position? Well, I would say they're wrong, like fundamentally, I suppose. Like, I can, I can appreciate that for some people they come to that conclusion because there is a lot of harm that can be done by the sort of charismatic end of the spectrum i think that you know that in some ways it's much safer to believe that god doesn't speak to people because actually you then you don't have to verify who's accurate and who's not i can i can totally appreciate and sympathize with people who come to that conclusion but actually if we if we believe that you know if G- what is the point are we like are we are we literally just gonna wait until we die and then you know what is the point of this life this life now if it isn't that god has a a, a direct relationship with us that is um mutual and there's something going on both ways um it sort of prioritizes this kind of eternal idea that that everything happens kind of when we die and i find that really problematic and i think it leads to some really problematic stuff there's a quote that i recently used in a a preach about justice that um from napoleon so i I can't remember the exact quote but it says what is it that keeps the poor man in his house with no fire while i have 10 fires burning and with no food when i have enough food for 10 families and why i have like loads of clothes and he doesn't even have one coat it's religion that says that one day my life will be terrible and his life will be brilliant essentially and so i think that there is a real risk that i and i know cessationism isn't primarily about that but it, it feeds into this idea that it's all about when we die and uh christian aid is a big ngo in the uk they they say you know we believe in life before death and so you know i, I believe that this god is not only about speaking to us you know when we die that that god has not changed and that so so that this that this god is able to speak to us in the now and i think that apart from anything else i feel really sad for them that they're settling for a form of faith and of relationship with god that denies god the the power to be part of their lives in really transformative ways i guess Perfect. So, yeah, I'll, I'll turn it over to David if he if he has that, that covers. Oh, all the... you bet I do. Have <laughs> 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 yeah. we met? <laughs> we've covered we've covered the list. So, so yeah, I'll, if you've got follow up, you, you go right ahead. I do. Ahead so there was David. one other thing on uh, the list that we actually haven't covered. Uh, by the way, uh, Natalie, you didn't get the list. Sorry, sorry, not sorry. I, di- I didn't. I'm happy to not have the list. <laughs> yeah, so I, didn't, I, di- I didn't want you to over prepare. Um, I can assure you that Dale and I did not over prepare. <laughs> but, but just to the not... excellent job, though, I would say for, for yes, no. This is this is where I find our, our guests really shine is when they're really not entirely sure what's coming. So uh, you're doing great. Uh, but there's so let me get mildly controversial you know how you define profit mm-hmm. and you know how i define profit and i don't i don't think we're too far apart 
with profit. Do you consider yourself a profit by any definition? Yes, I would say um, in terms of what God has specifically called me to, which is to challenge the church to uh, reject patriarchy and misogyny and to um, to move forward to more liberatory ways of understanding the relationship between men and women and, you know, how we understand God. I would say that, yeah, that definitely functions in a prophetic way um in in a kind of old testament type you know the people the prophets who tell the people of god where they're going wrong so i think to some degree yes i would say that i see god calling me to that sort of role okay so <laughs> let me let me give you a little bit of uh, inside baseball uh, a look at how the sausage is made i was actually more prepared for you to say no <laughs> and then i was going to talk you into uh admitting that you are a prophet. And then I was going to try to um, show you where that's wrong. <laughs> but now you have said you are a prophet. <laughs> I've got to reverse course now. Your whole plan. Do you want me to go back and just pretend I wasn't? Safe? Yes, I do. Because I've, I've got a spiel for that. <laughs> and my spiel isn't quite as, quite as developed uh, for this, but it is not completely without follow-up. Uh, though, and I, I just want you to understand, I'm I'm speaking less as a host now and more as a guy who has followed this sort of thing very closely, lived my life within religion, and I'm just a normal person talking to a normal prophet uh, for the next few minutes here. <laughs> okay, prophet that nobody ever calls me normal. <laughs> So, once again, you you could have said no one ever calls me a prophet. You went you went the other way. That's not, so. so um. So I, I guess a follow up would be, um, Natalie. I mean, you have to understand. This sounds very, very strange to me. This sounds like not the way the world works. Even when I was a Christian, this this sounds like not the way the world works. But if it if just giving your testimony, it's it's most powerful uh, credibility. If if you are a prophet in any sense of the word, do you believe that um, your words are veridical, and in, in that people need to listen to what you say as if it was being spoken by God? Because if in fact God is telling you things that are that have doctrinal and theological import it would seem to make sense that you are the one to listen to how do you feel about that are you infallible because you're speaking from god or what is what does that even mean from a practical perspective from someone listening to you especially from someone who disagrees with you yeah um so i I'd like to just go, yes, everyone should listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, not the direction I expected you to go. So. Um, I, just, just say, thus saith the Lord, and, and it's good. I don't think it is, it would, I definitely don't agree that everything that I say is like a prophetic word from God. And I think I would want to be careful about saying there is kind of a universal truth of it. I think it's, we're all, we're all, contextual beings and we're all meant for community and so i think that what i'm saying maybe the what the the context i'm called to is 
the UK church, perhaps the Western church to some degree. And so what I'm saying has to be taken within that context and has to be contextualized. So I think, you know, to kind of, it does A, is it universally true for all people at all times? Well, no, I think that it's, it's, it's true for the context I'm speaking to and the place God's called me to. Um, usually what I say to people when I'm doing training or speaking or preaching or anything um, is that if what I'm saying makes you uncomfortable, I could absolutely be wrong. But could you could you spend some time working out whether that your discomfort is because I'm wrong or because it's challenging stuff within you? Um, and, and at the end of that, if you still decide I'm wrong, then that's up to you. Like, I don't see my job as to convince anybody that I'm right, um, because that requires other people to change their mind. <laughs> and you know I'm not I'm it's not my job to do that I see my job as planting seeds and then just trusting that those seeds will grow in the hearts and lives of the people that it is right for that to happen and so I wouldn't want to kind of say that like if I'm preaching that everything I say is right like for instance I I was preaching and I just like made a throwaway comment that I'm I'm better at growing children than plants and I meant it in like that I always kill plants <laughs> and like and the children like I managed to kind of feed and clothe and they don't shrivel up and die on a windowsill but the way it sounded was that like my uterus is much better because it grows things in it like and somebody like spoke to me afterwards to say like that actually it could have been like really hurtful to people that I said that particularly for women who've not being able to conceive and like and so I absolutely wouldn't want everyone to be like yes that was a word from the Lord about you know <laughs> judgment on barren women or you know because that's horrific and I felt felt terribly horrified that anybody could have taken something negative from it and so I think I, like I wouldn't want to say that I am like in any way more less fallible than anybody else at all but I really take my my the responsibility that god has called me to say some stuff that are currently not being said or that haven't been said in the way that i'm saying them and and to say those things and to trust that where those where pe that those seeds get planted and they grow in the people that it's right for them to grow in and that for the people who aren't ready to hear what i'm saying or who it's for them it's not true or it's hurtful so you know most of what i talk about is male violence towards women and there may be men who've been abused by a female partner um and so you know for them what i'm saying might feel really problematic and so for them it may not be that it's important for them to hear that there may be somebody else they should be listening to who's saying things that are important for them so yeah I'm not I'm not invested in everybody agreeing with me and like I don't think that everything I say is right but I believe God's called me to say it and so I will say it and whoever will listen will that doesn't make sense to me I am sorry if you are talking from God then what you're saying is right and people don't have a choice to listen to you or not listen to you. I'm thinking about your appearance on Unbelievable, where you yeah. uh, spoke with. Uh, wait, remind me of his name. I've forgotten. Um, uh, oh yes. Uh, oh, do you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to put you on trial here. The, the, Phil Moore. That's it. That's it. Phil. Yeah. Um, so when you when you spoke to Phil, Phil has a very particular view on uh, compatibilism, which is uh, fairly mainstream. In, in the church, and then you have a view on egalitarianism, uh, not as uh, popular. I wouldn't say that it's not mainstream, I, but it's it's not the the um, dominant view. But the fact of the matter is, you 
you told me on Still Unbelievable that, you know, part of part of the reason you interpret the Bible the way you do is because you have, uh, in a sense, heard from God uh, on how this should be understood. And so I didn't I didn't challenge that uh, then, and I'm not going to challenge it now. I will simply say that if it is the case that Natalie Collins has a greater understanding of this because God explained it to her, then mm-hmm. there is not a choice in the church to listen or not to listen. The only choice is whether they believe you when they see your say when you say you're hearing from God or not. That's the yeah. only choice. And if people believe that, then they need to put down whatever understanding they have of uh, compatibilism versus egalitarianism and just go with what you've said because you have spoken prophetically. How is that yeah. not right? Yeah, I I would, but I would say that. M- I, I'm I'm being obedient to what God has said to me to do and to say. Um, I am not responsible for. I can't be like everybody should just believe me. The end. I don't think that's healthy anyway. I think everybody should be able to question me, and I I think that the fruit of what I'm saying is whether people's whether whether more people do come on board with this view and whether and and that actually it does lead to people choosing to treat women differently and it does lead to liberation for people um i don't think i think that's part of how we know it's true or not whether people get on board with it that's like part of it um you know i'm not like some sort of cult leader that's like if you don't agree with me then you know you you clearly but you should be (laughs) god's talking to you you should be moses Because I'm not God. Like God, I I feel like I'm. I, I, my... Okay, but but Moses wasn't God either, and you wouldn't say that Moses was a cult leader. I think I probably would. But but <laughs> if if God's talk having conversations with Moses in a tent, and then Moses comes out and says, "Well, this is God says, so this is what we're going to do," that's that should be you too. If that's the conversation you're having, I think I think it's about my my approach to this is not like everybody has to believe me but that if god's saying this then they should at least can be willing to consider it but that i can't make anybody change their mind only god can do that and that i'm not i'm not invested in everybody be- agreeing with me because that would make me more interested in me being right than doing what god tells me okay. i like i'm not it's not about i'm doing it because because this is what god has told me is the way things are are and and this is what god has called me to do god has opened up doors and given me opportunities opportunities to say the stuff that i'm saying and absolutely it'd be great for phil moore to like, turn up one day and be like natalie was right all along yeah. <laughs> like absolutely like i would I would love to see that mostly not because i want to be right but because mostly because the women in his church and the women in his life will benefit from um a situation where where there is more open where there is an approach that women and men are both equally called to to all of the same sorts of stuff so it you know for me it's not about you know i hear what you're saying but i think i think fundamentally my goal is not to get everybody to listen to me and agree with me my goal is to do what god says and to leave the rest of it up to god's like and and i'm not you know i don't i don't really know what 
you know, it, part of the problem with using Moses as an example was that other people didn't have access to the Holy Spirit apart from Moses and the few, you know, the 12 people he laid hands on at various points. And, you know, that the, the Spirit of God only only worked in very specific chosen people's lives, whereas we're now in a situation where we can, where, where everybody can have access to that. So I don't think that it's not the same scenario as it was then. So last follow-up, I know that Dale, he's, he's choking me with his leash. Uh, he's trying. He's trying to reel me back. I hope that I'm not seeing anything. Yank on that leash again, and I will bite your arm off. Um, <laughs> so, so um, look. This I I did indicate that it was about to get interesting. So, last follow up here. I I I will um, I will govern myself here. Let me calm down. All right. So, if that is the case, why doesn't God just talk to Phil? It's it's obvious that Phil's a man of faith. It's obvious that Phil has a heart to do what's what's right. He is trying to follow God the best he can. Why why should God tell you these things and leave Phil, uh, you know, left to figure it out for himself or believe you or not believe? Why not just tell you and Phil and maybe anyone else who wants to know why? Just why is he talking to you this directly and answering these hard questions? And not everybody. Well, I mean, I don't. I wish I had the answer because that would make everything a lot easier. I think partly my uh, my you know being in possession of a vagina and film not probably had some part to play <laughs> in why we understand things the way we do. That like none of we're not like we're not our God interacts with us in in relationship based on where we're coming from and so my understanding of this stuff and the reason I have the views that I do and the reason I approach this the way I do is because partly because of all the stuff that I've experienced and been subjected to which has given me a particular understanding of this that other people you know thank goodness have not had to approach but you know like for instance a few years ago I had this online interaction with somebody because I was moaning about a seminar about feminism and Jesus that had more men speaking at it than women and I had a bit of like this is ridiculous and somebody like challenged me and said that I was wrong um and then years later we uh he saw me at something and said to me like I'm really sorry like I was wrong and you were right in that situation and you know like I was like I I didn't know I didn't know that he'd gone away and then gone on a journey to realizing you know a few years later that this stuff that he'd thought wasn't wasn't the way things were um and so who knows the journey that Phil will be on so I suppose I see myself as being one part in people's journeys but it's not a case of that you know like God doesn't just kind of you know like plug into our brain and download the right information God is in relationship with us and so how we understand the world and how God interacts with us is based on everything that we bring because God loves us as whole beings not just as like people who hold information and so I suppose for me it's about um, you know, I, I'm not invested in trying to convince people. I'm not invested in trying to, um, you know, uh, get it all, you know, get get them to agree with me because that would make it about me, which it's not. It's about um, it's about just being obedient. That God has told me these things and God has directed me to share those things, and hopefully people will get on board. But I can't, I can't know the journey that that's going to people are going to go on from when they've spoken to me. And if I only decided, well, it's true because everybody turned around and like zombies shook their head and went, "Oh, Natalie, you are right." Like that, that's not 
um, you know, I don't I want for people to to go on the journey for themselves and realize this is true for themselves, because then they will take it on rather than just like just suddenly going, oh, OK, it's all right. And but, I mean, there's a reason. But don't you think it's unfair, yeah. though, of you to not just tell people up front that you heard it from God? I mean, so I I teased it out of you a little bit because this is what I do. I, you know, I talk to people <laughs> about things that are really interesting to me. But when you were on the Phil Moore show at no point, I mean, the Phil Moore show. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) I do not recommend that show. Um, When you were when you were on Unbelievable with Phil Moore, it seems like you could have cut through a lot of this by just saying, hey, Phil, this is not Natalie. This is thus saith the Lord. And that that would have been that would have been that. But I think the thing is that not only are me and Phil having a conversation and on a journey together, everybody who watches that is is going on a journey too. And that thus saith the Lord is not a way to help anybody on that journey. Really. I don't want a journey. I want the right answer. What is it going? I don't want the journey. The journey to nowhere. The journey through the pit of sorrows. The journey through no. I don't skip the journey. I don't want to oppress women because I'm ignorant of what the Bible means. Just tell me. I obviously care about what God says. When I was a Christian, I care about what God says. Obviously, I wanted to know. You obviously knew I was on the wrong path, and you're talking to me as Natalie, and I'm thinking, well, who's Natalie? I don't need to. If you had, tell me, you've got more authority than that. Don't let me go on this weird journey. <laughs> there, there, you know how many women I've accidentally oppressed because I was on a journey and no one said, thus saith the Lord, this is the actual answer. That could have saved a lot of lives. But I don't think that's, that's the reality is that Mita, he doesn't even believe that as a woman I can hold authority. <laughs> It doesn't matter that, like, to somebody who doesn't believe this is true, me saying God has told me it's true is not going to make it true to them because they'll just say, well, Natalie's wrong. Yeah, well, and it may so, not have helped him, but it would have helped the audience because you're talking to a million people at that time. <laughs> because I think anybody who already agreed with me would have understood that God had given me that information. And anybody who didn't agree with me would just think that I was wrong. And so I don't think anybody is massively helped by thus saith the Lord. Like, um, there's a, a quote that I use a lot that I don't know where it came from, but it says a healthy relationship is not based on a- agreement. It's based on understanding and that we can't. The agreement requires somebody to change their mind, and that's not always possible. But we can always seek for greater understanding of one another. And I suppose I see if if I can help people to understand more about this stuff, if I can help them to understand more about this God who loves women um, and who challenges patriarchy, then hopefully that will help them on the journey. I know, I'm sorry, I know you don't want there to be a journey. Oh, I don't want a journey. But that's what it all is. Nothing rarely is anything, you know, like anything worth having is not going to come easy. Fair enough. Dale, save, yeah, think, save me from myself, Dale. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I do think I appreciated the back and forth. I think these are, are fair questions and, and our audience wants to know and that sort of thing. I, I am on Natalie's side. I, I don't think, you know, I, I've tried the thus saith Dale and that doesn't really work out too well. So. <laughs> but, um, but Dale, you have never said that you were speaking on, on behalf of God. So that's, in, in all fairness, had you said that, you would have a few more followers. See, I was trying to have a witty joke and you got to ruin it. But, um, no, <laughs> this is what no, I do. Up. I am the joke ruiner. It's my superpower. Um, but yeah, yeah. just to, to close off, I, I've been really happy with this conversation. I think it's it'll be helpful um, for people on their journeys and, and 
um, considering, um, you know, Natalie's experience and stuff. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I was hope you had a good time yourself, Natalie. Yeah, I have. I mean, I just, I think I just wanted to bring in a couple of examples which haven't been like God directly speaking to me, just to give a few examples for people. Is that okay? Just that I think like the examples that I've given so far are this kind of like God speaking to me very directly on very dramatic things. But I think, you know, God speaks to me day in, day out on things that are much more mundane. Um, And so I just thought it might be helpful to give a bit of an example, particularly for people who are either not Christian or for people who are um, cessationists to kind of go, actually, it's not always God going, who are you telling you to marry? Yeah, 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 please. Yeah, I think it's important. Also, just so you know, it's uh, it's on our notes, but we mutually decided to skip it. So thank you. I suppose like the most recent one I was going to give an example of it's actually after the last time we did a podcast um with the news in the US about the um the Southern Baptist Convention the abuse uh there and the previous week about the priests raping nuns as well um and I I just like I lit I had a total like meltdown I just like had this kind of tsunami of just like I don't know how to be a Christian when Christians do this stuff and like this guy who's a big Christian in the UK had tweeted something about how he was going to the glorious some sort of like a glorious international feast at church and I was like I tweeted this I tweeted this thing going oh and there's rapists in the feast and are you happy to be in the feast with the rapists <laughs> somebody direct message me to be like you can you delete that like it's not helpful and I was like yeah I probably should um but just felt really like I don't know how to be a Christian when there are so many horrifically awful people using Christianity to abuse and and really you know and and in that moment was just like I don't don't know what to do with this and um and so in that in that space the way that God spoke to me was like I had this sort of it was on a Sunday and I had this kind of gentle sense of like going to church and like we own my husband had already gone earlier and so we didn't only had one car that day and so I ended up booking my first ever Uber because I suddenly was like oh I should definitely go to church but I can't get there so so I went to church and and the sermon was about 1 Corinthians 15 and and basically the the main thing that the preacher was saying was about that are that in that passage Paul says that the gospel is that like the facts of Jesus living and dying and rising again and that are essentially he didn't go you know the the core of the gospel is that Jesus loves you he was like no you know that these these facts that we understand of Jesus and and so for me like although that preach could have spoken to lots of people it spoke to me in that it was saying that actually this feeling I was having this like I cannot be in this faith anymore um was 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 that that there the reason I'm in this faith is because of my experience of Jesus and because of who Jesus was and is not because of because of you know all the shitty stuff that Christians do um and then I sort of just went on this bit of this kind of processing of it, which in which I kind of came to this kind of conclusion that actually there's abusers everywhere. Like the, the you look at the American gymnastics abuse of, of gymnasts, you look at Jimmy Savile, you look at Harvey Weinstein, you, you know, all, all Michael Jackson. And, and so we don't necessarily, we don't, when we see those cases, we don't go, well, let's stop doing gymnastics. Let's stop like having celebrity culture, let's stop having music and films because we recognize that that the abusers are using those things to get access, but that the, the institution itself doesn't have to be evil. And so that it was more a sort of processing thing that I came out the other side thinking, no, I've, I've gone on 
da, 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 a journey <laughs> to come up to to this point of going actually like that's so in that sense it wasn't it wasn't this kind of light bulb moment of god going no this is the way things things are you know you have to stay and the 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 Bible says, or, you know, anything like that. It was more this kind of, uh, the the sermon in that context was really important. Um, yes. Another time I, I, I really felt God, God told me to start running and um, because, you know, running is actually really good for you if you can do it. And um, I'd, I'd done running previously and wrecked my knee. And, um, and so I'd given up, but then, I heard a guy preaching and he talked about how God had healed his knee. And I was like, oh, I should probably like pray for my knee, like not really convinced God would do anything. Um, but so I started to pray that my knee would be OK. And then I, I connected with a guy who wanted to start getting healthier. So I was like, oh, well, shall we go? Should we go running together? And then um, I discovered the 5K, the Couch to 5K running app. And so I downloaded that and then. And then as I was sort of doing research on trauma, I discovered how important running is in terms of helping people recover from trauma. And so in that sense, I, I'm saying, oh, I really feel God told me to start running. But it wasn't it wasn't like this audible voice in my head going, you must start running. But actually just various things. And, you know, my knee has got better. And um, and and, and through, part of that was because I started running very gradually and very gently. And so. So, yes, yeah, so it doesn't it's not that everything that God says to me is this kind of booming voice telling me what to do with that, that circumstances and sermons and those kind of thing. And I, I go on a, a God day every month and I go on a weekend away with God once a year. And I, I don't do like retreat centers or anything. I go and book into a cheap hotel and just spend two days, three days working out what God wants to do. And and so for me in those in those times with God, there is times where I feel God very directly saying stuff to me. But actually a lot of it is me reading through the journals that I've written over the last year or the last month, um, making being kind of really silent before God, both on a daily basis and then on, on you know, when I go away, making time just to like really silence all of those stuff that's going on I use something called the Ignatius examen which is a monastic um tradition to 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 silence myself um doing worship making time on my own with God um and and seeing what emerges on my in my head and my heart and it may be about what's going on internally but also what's going on around me so it might be that a song comes on the on the radio in a cafe that I'm in and I'm like oh like that's a really useful that speaks to this thing that's going on for me or I'll be cycling up a hill praying and suddenly God says to me something about this being an uphill struggle or whatever or you know the rain might start and it might be just at a point when I'm going through something I'm not saying that God makes it rain at that point but it's almost that I become as much attuned to uh, to the fact that God could use anything to to guide me you know friendships um, and things people have said to me or you know th the challenges with my kids or whatever so yeah so I guess that once you my experience has been the more that I'm open and to to the idea that God can speak to me the more that these things I, I start to realize oh there's some truth that I can take from that and I think that would very much much more fit into the the potential that you could perceive that as self-talk um those are the things that I think would fit more into that category that you could explain a lot of that away as just being quite self-aware but my experience of it has been very much that it hasn't really come from me it's come from this external source so let me let me ask my last question it's it's a question on the secret list the the one that I do not share with my co-host. <laughs> so, I there, knew it. 
list. <laughs> There's always the secret list. Um, Dale thinks, hey, you went off script that time. And I say, no, I didn't. I went off your script. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm I'm a polemicist. I don't mind owning that. In fact, tomorrow I will be guest uh, hosting on a podcast called Ask an Atheist Anything. And um, I will be talking to Matthew Taylor about uh, using the tool of polemic. Uh, so just a preview of that. I, I define polemic as the ability to ridicule the ridiculous. I think it's very important for us as a society to know the difference between the, the rational and the irrational, the, the, re, the reasonable and the ridiculous. And I think that com- comedians do uh, society a great good because they help shine a light on things that we should laugh at. Uh, and sometimes they get it wrong because maybe some things they think we should laugh at are not, in fact, things we should laugh at. But they help shine that light and hold that conversation. I think that's very important not to hold terribly serious conversations about things that are truly ridiculous. And when, when a society forgets what is and isn't ridiculous, I think I think a society is somewhat lost. So that said, I know that you and I will have some <laughs> disagreements on what is uh, reasonable and what is ridiculous. But just just as a final level setting thing for me, do you find anything that a Christian might claim in in the in terms of you know God told me to do this or you know God did this, this in my life? Do you ever find any of those claims ridiculous? Is there anything that you, Natalie Collins, would personally catalog yes. as they said all this and that's that's ridiculous to me? Yes, all the, all the time. I am um, so. I <laughs> this guy. We were at a barbecue. There's a guy who announced that god had forever healed him and he was never going to be ill ever again and um i haven't seen him for years but i did see him a few years later and i was really tempted to be like so have you been ill because i knew do you know when you just like <laughs> yeah but i just thought i didn't want to rub it in his face that you know he because he you know he was in like week six or something of never being ill again mm-hmm. um, and I just, I don't know, like, I think, you know, being told that they've had a vision of waterfalls was, you know, there's all the time. I think Christians, you know, we, we there's a whole, like, so much problematic and toxic culture. You know, a lot of the stuff that uh, we think God has told us are, like, you know, traditional gender roles. Do you know, like, there's, um, there's a book, oh, is it, um, uh, I want to say... One of the, it's not Wayne Gruden or John Piper, but it's one of their, one of their lots. And his wife wrote a book or said in a book that she felt God, you know, called her to give up her own ministry totally to support her husband because, you know, I don't know, it was awful. You know, she was kind of sinning to have any desires to serve God out of her own stuff, you know, or there's another woman who started to question whether feminists might have a point and then realised it was the spirit of Jezebel in her life, you know, like, <laughs> like particularly particularly in the area of work that I most strongly, like, I spend my life, like, encountering people who justify all sorts of really toxic stuff by saying God thinks that they're right, so, like, absolutely, I think there is a lot 
of ridiculousness out there. I've I've been on the receiving end of it, both as um, somebody who was, you know, in the middle of really, really terrible stuff and the sort of stuff people say to you. I, you know, I I believed that God told me that I should stay with my ex-husband for a long time because I just thought, you know, well, that's what God wants me to do, and I thought God was telling me to. So I've been, I've I have personally experienced uh believing god telling me stuff that wasn't god um but actually once i encountered like i wouldn't say that was before i encountered god properly for myself and since then the experience that i've had where god has spoken to me those things have had really healthy and positive fruit so i think the fruit of these things is part of it um but yeah i think i think people convince themselves god has said stuff to them all the time so i'm I'm genuinely not and i'm i am quite cynical you know when any any time i go to a meeting and somebody's like oh i feel i've got a word that somebody's going to be healed and i'm immediately like have you though so you know so i'm not as i say all this i'm sure that you you might be people listening might be like she's mad and you know like, <laughs> like i genuinely i'm actually quite cynical when it comes to the idea that god is saying stuff to people so and i suppose that's one of the reasons why i suppose i um even more convinced when god talks to me because i'm not the sort of person he just like willingly just takes on stuff and just thinks that you know i'm not somebody who really is very open to the supernatural in some senses but you know that's in some ways why i'm a bit more convinced <laughs> as, as as counter you know as contradictory as that might sound natalie collins <laughs> it has been an absolute joy uh, thank you great. for thank you for coming on to the show, and um, I I will I will speak for myself. I think I speak for both of us when I say we would love to have you back. Uh, I've been telling a lot of people we'll let's let's see if we can uh, maybe reconnoiter in the summer as summer approaches, and I expect our calendars filling up. Maybe you'd be willing to come back in the fall. I would love to. <laughs> that would be fantastic, Dale. Who do we have on deck next week? Uh, so next week is um, Lydia McGrew uh, is coming to talk about uh, the Gospels. And what did you say? I said, "Oh my!" <laughs> yes, yes. I was, I was great. Uh, Tony Costa recommended uh, that she be a good contact for me to to reach out. Um, so she's going to be giving her take, which is slightly different than um, one of our previous guests, Mike Lacona, on the the issue of the reliability of the Gospels. So. Um, yeah, that's uh, going to be a great topic. I'm looking forward to that. So when when do we have the Lydia McGrew-Mike Lacona cage match? That's the one I'm waiting for. That that might actually be a... I might, yeah, maybe uh, if, if Lydia enjoys her time and, and would like to come back on, maybe I could reach out to both Mike and Lydia you know, at some point in the future and we could actually have them do a discussion on it. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Fun, fun, fun. But... It would never be more fun. It could only be as fun as the time we have had with Nellie Collins. So thank you. Now, now uh, before you go, if, if you um, if you did want to come back, did you have any ideas as to topics, uh, just sort of general topics that you would like to discuss with us, or you're just up for anything? I'm I'm really up for discussing anything. As you can probably guess, I have an opinion on every thing i don't have an opinion on i think once i got asked to be on the radio to talk about like having female santas in a parade (laughs) and i was like that was the one time that i was like i just don't 
don't really know that I have anything to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, no female Santas. Okay. Uh, I just like I couldn't really work out what you know what what I would say, but um, but generally I'm you know I'm up for having um you know conversations about whatever I I um my. You know, I've got teenagers, um, so having some con- I'd be happy to kind of chat about like um, being a Christian parent and how like raising kids, and you know, I mean that might be something that might be of interest in terms of uh, you know from an atheist point of view, and a, you know, like actually should we raise kids with with um, faith if we're people of faith, and you know, um, I don't know. Child abuse. Type oh thing boy, or... do I do I have some thoughts on that? But I'm not a parent, so I don't know that anyone should care about my thoughts on that. <laughs> so. But yeah, I'll have a I'll have a think if anything else emerges. But it may be that as a result of this, when you go away and kind of think about it, that there's stuff that emerges that you think, oh, like that'd be a really useful thing. Um, yeah, I'd be really happy to talk about kind of se- sexual ethics and. Um, and faith and some of the really problematic stuff around kind of purity culture um yeah and you know i would my own view is that pornography and purity culture are two sides of the same coin um so you know i'd be happy to talk about that it might be a bit contentious but um yeah i'm yeah really really up for natalie am i reading you correctly uh when i say you enjoy the contentious stuff Oh, I love contentious stuff. <laughs> I don't. I literally there's there's very little that I'm not up for kind of debating or discussing. Awesome. I love that attitude. Perfect. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely be in touch. I I, I enjoyed this. I definitely. I, I enjoyed having you on the show. So yeah, uh, we'll. Right. I, feel a bit, I feel a bit bad because I think during the recording I called you Doug, but I didn't mean to. It's just that on on my Skype it says E. You just called me Doug. Okay, yeah. you're not coming back. It's over. Dale, but it's because on the Skype it says DG, and my brain went, "His name's Doug." The, the the recording is still going. People. A good editor would edit this out, but we've, as we've determined. <laughs> All right, so, so thank you everyone for, for listening. Uh, we're still recording. Natalie is a, a great guest to have. She, she's up for, you know, getting involved in these and having these real. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Doug, uh, for your participation. And, uh, and it looks like Doug has robot out. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So have a good Bye-bye, everybody. All right, bye-bye.